Welcome back to the Girls Talk Ag podcast, plowing through the manure online. Um, so today we're going to talk about wrens. And I stole the title from my good friend, Glenn Newcomer. Uh, last week I talked about wrens uh, a little bit in my um, newsletter, my a weekly update, and said how we were working on a compromise. And he said, so they're working towards a wren wren. I was like, but um, tip your waitress, always try the veal. <laughs> See, and so I keep, I, I think it sounds like you keep saying you got the runs. <laughs> no, that's really horrible. I don't. I, at least, you know, just full disclosure here. I'm, I'm good. Um, I passed my health check on the Zencaster. So we're good to go. But we figured, you know, with all of the conversation going on about ethanol, RINs, the RFS, you know, all of these sort of acronym things, too, that some farmers are like, what? The what? Um, we thought we'd kind of just give a little bit of background. And I don't know, Jen uh, said that I was going to be schooling her when we started. And I said, you poor thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, know, I, I basically know nothing. I Nothing. I'm be honest with you. I know enough to be dangerous, I guess you could say, but it's, it's been um, a huge influence in agriculture, of course, for the last 12 years. Right. I mean, um, it, it's, it, it, I'm not too far removed, you know, started in the industry approximately two years, a year and a half before ethanol became even a, a, you know, a household word, I guess you could say. I mean, we in Michigan had one of the first ethanol plants 20 miles um, east of me, but it was basically opened in like 1978 and shuttered in two, in 1980. You know what I mean? It just, ethanol started in the the, the 80s, the, I believe, and and didn't last very long. So anyway, yeah, I mean, we, we saw rin, or ethanol kind of come into play late 70s, early 80s, you know, the last time when we were having fuel shortages and high oil prices and all that jazz, and it didn't last long, right? I mean, you guys, were not old enough because we're young and have supple bodies and stuff. Um, <laughs> so you guys, of course, don't remember that firsthand, but that was the big conversation when we started. And so mid-2000s came, oil prices spiked. We were in the middle of, of the war in the Middle East, and we weren't uh, tapping into our own resources and things like that. So W uh, came up with uh, you know this plan that we needed to start turning our corn into fuel, right? I mean, that's basically, so we saw the introduction of the RFS or the Renewable Fuels Standard, um, and we saw ethanol, you know, basically take off almost overnight. Um, you know, I know in Michigan, we went from zero plants to one plant, the plant in Caro, the Poet plant was was the first one. And at one point in time, we had almost 10 plants um, forecast for the state, proposed in different areas and things like that. We have five now. Um, we have the Albion plant, the, the Woodbury plant, Marysville, uh, Poet and Carrow and uh, Green Plains and Riga. So we have five plants in the state. One of the plants that was proposed will be a soybean crushing facility, actually. So I guess that's to every season, right? But um, So we've had the, the RFS uh, under attack basically since its inception. Big oil has not been a fan. Um, and so we've been kind of fighting the good fight and... Uh, now we're back to fighting the good fight. And uh, um, I feel like I'm going on forever about it, but 
we've seen recently here uh, Senator Cruz, Ted Cruz, come out and uh, basically say that some things needed to be changed. He's, of course, from Texas. And so that was hard for me to wrap my mind around when I was in Texas. They had an ad on the paper, a political ad uh, on the TV, on the paper. Who reads a paper? Um, on the TV about how this senator or Senate candidate had supported ethanol. And so I live in Iowa right now, and that would be, he supported ethanol. And in Texas, it's supported ethanol. Like, it was the worst thing ever. So, you know, no surprise. It's all in the inflection. It is. It's so much fun. But so no surprise that Senator Cruz um, is against it. And uh, the head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, is an Oklahoma oilman. And uh, so what really started this conversation is we saw this refinery go under um, from in Pennsylvania here at uh, the start of the year, January timeframe. Uh, they claimed bankruptcy or filed bankruptcy, and everyone wants to blame it on the cost of RINs. And so... Tell me what a RIN is. Okay, so a RIN is a renewal identification number. It's basically, remember when carbon credits were the big thing? We were going to start trading our air. You know, like we talked about in the labeling, um, where is that? Is that anything like daylight savings time? You can't do it. I mean, it sounds so stupid. I want my hour back already. I am already pissed about losing an hour. I know, right? I'm like, how are we? It's like monopoly money here, right? And I'm so screwed because Colton right now is on a ten o'clock to seven o'clock sleeping pattern, and all I can think is that's going to be eleven and eight, like. You know, springing I'm, ahead sucked enough before I had kids. Now it really sucks. So Karen's got two to deal with. Yeah, it's going to be like a five-day hangover. Oh, no. See, mine isn't even anybody. I don't even have anybody else to worry about. I'm the one who is, like, will be the bitch in this house <laughs> right. because I can't stand it. I can't stand it. It takes literally six months for my body to get accustomed to it, and then we're back to the other schedule. I'm like, <laughs> WTF. I don't know. Do you have to bleep WTF? No, I'm trying to be great I'm not here, gonna but. anyway. So if you're offended by WTF, then you're screwed, which is worse than. I just, I, 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 I get. I mean, I kind of understand like carbon credits and what this company. I, and you may want to cut this part out, but it's kind of like I fart more than Chris, and so do I need to buy fart points from him? If I, I mean, I don't. It's all the same. It's basically the pr- same exact principle, and I'm not cutting that out because you just said on a recording that people are going to listen to that you fart more than Chris, so that's sexy. So, How do you someday, keep the love alive? Someday Chris is going to explode because he holds his farts, and I'm <laughs> yeah. just saying. That but explains I mean, the pitched expression. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's exactly, that's exactly what it is, is. But basically, you don't want to change your own operation to make it better. So you buy credit off of somebody else who's doing something yes. environmentally. Who, who already made their operation better. It's just, it and blows that's basically, my mind. So that's what this Pennsylvania refinery did, is they didn't want to have to buy or come up with a way to blend. Because in the RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, there are certain requirements by refineries that they have to to blend uh, renewable fuels into their fuel production, plain and simple. Um, you know, the, the, the RFS did not result or did not cause the replacement of the MTBE. Uh, that took place around 2010, 2011. That was a, an agent that we used in, in fuel to uh, produce octane, I believe. 
someone will correct me and be like, yeah, yeah. okay. So it produced octane, but it was also linked to causing cancer. And so we removed MTBE from the fuel and put ethanol in. Now you can refine um, gasoline and not have any ethanol in it. But in order to do that, you have to purchase those RINs, those renewable identification numbers, and then sell the gas down the road and someone else somewhere will blend that whole fuel product into uh, uh, an ethanol blend, E10, E15, E30, E85. So who's setting the number of RINs that are available? That There is no cap on RINs. So... (laughs) If you, at this point in time, and that, so that's part of it, they're looking to cap the price of RINs more than anything, but RINs, anytime you produce a gallon of ethanol, it comes with a RIN. So every gallon of ethanol produced, it makes these RIN numbers and they're traded in their own market. So they have a free market system. Much like this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, know. in I'm a lot so of ways, um, you could say it is because there's no real way of tracing or tracking how many RINs are available. Um, it's basically, like I said, based on ethanol production. So you can look at how many gallons of ethanol were produced in a week, which comes out each week and say, OK, so there's this many RINs available. But you don't know how many someone else has bought. You don't know how many, um, you know, someone is sitting on for a later thing. It is a basic wide open market. And I argue um, that the oil industry has played a role in manipulating the rinse market to the high side in order to say that it's costing them so much money because there's nothing stopping that from happening. Um, this conversation came up uh, a couple years ago um, and, and that, you know, people can't afford to buy rins because they're so high in price because they were, they were exceptionally high for some reason. A lot of it was discovered to be market manipulation and things like that. And it, it went away. You know what I mean? It's come out. There's, there's always this conversation. Everyone will kind of point towards the Grassley rule, which Chuck Grassley has been in the Senate, you know, since Chuck was a pup. I think he's a hundred million years old now. Um, and farts stuff much like Luger. exactly but he's very powerful and so he in a lot of ways can say nope that's bad for iowa it's bad for ethanol it's bad for iowa it's not going to happen and so there's been a lot of ways where someone actually likened him to like the chuck norris of the biofuel industry where he can like fight off any advance and attempt to try to change it and so there it's really kind of the conversations went away um and then it's come you know come back and then it goes away again and it's come back and you know this recent bankruptcy of this refinery in pennsylvania kind of brought it to surface again like i said Pruitt came out and said, you know, it was the because of rinse. We discovered later on that, you know, they had some really backwards business deals put together with certain entities that are far too powerful for me to name here because they could squash me like a bug. Um, and, you know, things of that nature where it really wasn't necessarily because of rinse, it was because of poor uh, business Bad management. Yes. But. If you're an oil guy and you can get rid of the RFS or something of that nature, of course, you're going to try and you're going to point to these poor out of work Pennsylvanians and say, what are we doing here? Um, And so that's where we are today, I guess you could say. I mean, that's a good run up as to to where we're sitting. Right, Jen, Karen? Okay, so I saw something this week that just irritated me. Um, It was in an article about this. It said... Big corn versus oil. And I was just like, what in the hell? No way is big corn 
corn is not bigger than oil. So somehow they're trying to make it out that oil is a victim here. And, you know, they pr- pretty much rule the world and always have. So I don't really feel sad for the oil companies here. But, you know, it, the fact is oil is a fossil fuel and ethanol is a renewable fuel. So the more ethanol that's used, the better it is for the environment. You know, it burns cleaner. Um, I had something from Trisha Braid at Illinois Corn that had said, um, okay, so you were talking about MTV. So they used the oxygenate, the fuel in the past, but MTBE was extremely extremely toxic and could pollute the groundwater if spilled. To back that up, the city of Chicago is nearly out of the U.S. EPA non-attainment status, um, basically because they have an E10 mandate and a ban on MTBE as an oxygenate. And that basically means that Chicago has better air quality now because they have the ethanol mandate. So, yes. And and Chicago is actually one of the first major cities, if I remember correctly, that's trying to push towards E15, um, which would actually increase the blend um, that they would, would use Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and make sense. And, and so that's part of the conversation too, that's coming up with this RIN policy. Um, what they basically, what they, they want to do from what I understand is they want to cap the price on RINs. And what folks say is that if we cap the price on RINs, that will reduce the incentive to produce ethanol, um, because it's a secondary, um, uh, uh, secondary, uh, way to make money. I guess you could say the word was escaping me there for a minute because, you know, when you produce ethanol, you take a bushel of corn and you pay a certain amount for that corn and you grind it and it turns into 2.8, which 2.8 gallons of ethanol, which some will say um, that we've improved our ability to grind to where we're closing in on three gallons of ethanol per bushel. But the official number is still, I believe, 2.8 or so. Um, 16 pounds of, of uh, dried distiller's grain, which is fed to cattle, hogs, chickens, you know, thing, anything that wants to eat that has hooves or whatever. Um, and then 16 pounds of carbon dioxide, which uh, the plant in Michigan, they use that to, to make dry ice. Which is so weird. I did not know that. That's probably the most fascinating yeah. thing. I didn't either. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know anything. And that so it's not like directly, I don't think, but it's part of the process. As far as I know, uh, someone might correct me, but it was part of the reason that the uh, the LB implant was so exciting is because it had found a way to basically capitalize on uh, three um, byproducts of grinding corn. Um, you know, so ethanol, carbon dioxide, dried distillers, grain, and then these RINs are, are secondary encouragers. So if you go ahead and sell those RINs, then you're, you know, you have a way of making money. So some folks are saying that a RIN, a RIN price cap, which is basically, in my opinion, extraordinarily un-American in the sense that we're going to cap the price on a, a market, you know, granted, some people say that the RFS is un-American, but then we can go further and say that the subsidies that have been paid into the oil industry and tax breaks that they've, you know, ha- happily enjoyed for the last hundred years have also been an unfair government practice. So, I mean, it's what came first, the chicken or the egg. But so some are saying that the the cap in in uh, on RIN prices would reduce the amount of ethanol produced and, and damage um, the value of corn. We've seen that, right? The last couple uh, days, we've seen studies remo- studies come out that say that um, 
a rinse cap would drop the price of corn by 25 cents even. Now that came out this week, right? Am I wrong? No, that did. Yeah, that came out this week. I've seen it from ISU, Missouri corn, uh, and I think Illinois corn. Um, Karen, you've been interacting with uh, Trisha Braid, right, from Illinois corn? Yes. And what has been her take on this whole entire thing? As far as, well, I think part of the problem is that it's misunderstood. Yeah, I mean, what has she been saying? What has she been telling you or what? Because I know she sent over some information to us that um, has some good, I mean, she's, of course, been a great resource. But, um, you know, what are, do they have a, a standing opinion on the current policy um, changes being discussed or no? So the RINs facilitate discounting of higher ethanol blends, which stimulates an increased ethanol demand, which stimulates increased corn demand, which supports higher corn prices. So obviously they're in favor of not capping them. And she did give me this whole math problem example, um, an actual market condition versus a market condition with a 10 cent RIN cap. Um, But I can't, it's above my pay grade. You do math at 3 a.m., so I'm not sure that's above your But that was an easy proportion. This is a little bit farther ahead. So any RFS requirement above E10 blend wall would be met with a 10-cent waiver credit. Um, because I, don't, I can't read this chart. It means nothing to me. Right. I got more. Basically, it's going to reduce the corn price, which is obviously something that the the commodity organizations would be against. I guess I asked more about ethanol in general because there's a lot of misinformation about ethanol. And so mm-hmm. I was just trying to get a little bit more informed, I guess, about that. Um, because if you go, yeah. like I remember when I bought a car a couple of years ago at the dealership, they said, whatever you do, don't put ethanol in it. And I Ugh. was like, what? But come to figure yeah. out the car dealers, a lot of them are in oil's pocket. So, yeah. Now, I will say we bought an Explorer a long time ago. And like I said, this has honestly been years and years ago when they first, when ethanol, kind of when ethanol first, came, or flex fuel vehicles first came out. We ran E85 in it for a while and it ran rough. Now, Sean Harmon runs E85 in his vehicles all the time now. And he loves it. Well, in one of his vehicles, don't quote me. Um, well, it I, I wonder since then if it's changed. Of course, engines have changed and they've, you know, adjusted the. But um, since twenty, any car after two thousand and one apparently should be equipped to change. The problem is you need to pick one blend and stick with it. Don't do this blend, then that blend, and switch back and forth. Because the E85 apparently can be anywhere between E51 and E85. And so each tank may differ, so you don't really want to go back and forth too much. So I have a question, and I don't know if anybody can answer this. So you got your E10, right, and your E15, Mm -hmm. right? And then we jump to E85. Why did we jump from 15 to 85? Uh, E30. Yeah. I mean, it's going to go with any blend, but like Karen was saying, you know, basically E85 can be E51 to uh, E85. You know what I mean? So um, there's E30, um, you know, and there's a lot of people that will make, um, or I've heard anyway, that, you know, you have blender pumps, so you can set your own blend that you want to use in there and, and make that work. And, 
Um, but that's part really? of the problem with the vehicles is that when they do that, when they go to different gas stations, then it's not always the same equivalent. Yeah. And then that is what people determine as not being well in their car. Which I'll be honest, and Carl gets so ticked about it, but um, I've put E30 in my truck, not noticed any difference. I've, I haven't put E85 because it's a flex. I don't think I've ever seen E30 around here. You know, I, E30 at uh, Come and Go in uh, Des Moines is actually where I got mine because Casey's. Yeah, we're looking at you, Casey's. We want you to sponsor us, but quit being an asshole about ethanol, okay? Um, but now, you know, somebody. Times. Yes, they won't. They are not offering. Casey's is not offering e, our ethanol yeah. blend. But. Um, you know, somebody on Twitter gives me a hard time about that, but that's not really. That's not. Isn't I mean, that why we have? Isn't that why we pay checkoff dollars for them to fight that battle? Yeah, exactly. Me? But that's a whole new. Sorry, that's a whole. No, new but it's stuff. true. I mean, if you want to eat the Casey donut, but get your gas at Come and Go, it makes perfect sense. You know what I mean? And that's so. I've used E30 in my truck. I haven't noticed a difference. I've used E15. I, you know, we always. Well, here in Iowa, this is what blows my mind. In Iowa, you can get ethanol-free gas. That doesn't happen in Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, that is not a thing. Like, I, if you're putting E10 in or if well, you're putting, you know, 87 octane, you're assuming you have a 10% ethanol blend, um, you know, in it. Well, you people in Iowa charge less for your medium-grade fuel than you do for yeah. your lesser, whatever those are Right, called. because the medium-grade has the ethanol in it. That's... Uh, and so I always have to remember when I'm in Iowa to get the middle. So, I mean, and that's, so there's a, a big different, you know, a big, uh, there's a big debate. So here's something about the E15. So the E15 can be sold to non-flex fuel vehicles in the winter mo months. E10 has the RVP waiver year round. They've been trying to get the E15 waiver for years, but it's a regulatory issue. The EPA just has to write a new rule. The Obama administration wasn't interested. Trump doesn't really seem to be interested. So, you know, if we could get that waiver, there would be one less market access barrier for E15, and that would take away from the market share. So that's why Teddy- I don't get the only in the winter part. Uh, because of the, the octane requirements. So E10 has the RVP waiver year round, E15- it becomes an issue in summer months because the idea is that, uh, you know, a high octane fuel blend will cause issues with uh, air pollution. Oh, okay. That makes, okay. Now I say I didn't, I did not get what the whole winter summer months had to do with it. Yeah. Something with the ozone. Then. Yep. So that's what the RVP waiver does is it says, okay, this isn't causing an issue. This octane level isn't causing an issue so we can, can use it or whatever. And, uh, so that's that's part of the discussion is that's what's limiting the the more acceptable or more um, plentiful E15 use because any car after 2001 can have up to e, up to 15 percent they can use E15 without an issue per every car manufacturer out there now your dealerships may say different you know your your car nerd blog might say different you know just because they've heard from a guy who heard from a guy but I know. Well, I talked to a mechanic. Yeah. Well, I had one friend tell me that her uncle's an auto mechanic, and he's convinced that ethanol's horrible for engine yeah. life. But I talked to my cousin, who's a mechanic, and he actually thought it was better for the engine because it's cleaner over a long period of time. 
But he said the lower grade gas, depending on how you look at it, can seem cheaper. But in the long run, it doesn't fare out well for the engine. But you look, you get better fuel mileage. But you can't look at fuel mileage. You have to look at cost per mile as opposed to cost per gallon. And I think that messes with people, too, when they try and see the benefits of ethanol. Yeah. Well, and Steve Volkert, right? He's on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, been an auto mechanic forever. And he loves ethanol. Um, and yeah. he'll be very clear about that, that he loves ethanol. And, uh, so I look, he goes out of his way to make sure he puts it in his vehicle. I think, I think part of the problem here is going to be like, um, mechanics and car people see it differently within their own industry. I think another problem we have is ethanol is viewed differently within yeah. agriculture as well. I mean, you got your livestock who aren't a fan of it you got your corn people who are i think i think it's just like everything there's more internal fighting over like this than i just don't get it you know we don't have to import it from overseas so how is this not a good thing that's what i don't get we're not you know we used to see the billboards that said you know support ethanol because this soldier doesn't have to go fight in the middle east for it which is a bit of a stretch i realize so don't send any hate mail but i mean it is something that we grow here now we have a bigger supply of oil coming out of north dakota so i guess you know the Dakotas could rule the world here if they tried. But the thing is, between is the that, ethanol and yeah, the oil, but. and we're also exporting more. So our, we've we're we're not the only ones in the world that have discovered that ethanol is a cleaner burning, higher octane fuel. China is looking to go to an, a ten percent ethanol blend by twenty twenty. Mexico already has. Mexico has. Brazil E-10. is uh, twenty five, if not thirty. Um, they've been twenty five for a long time. Japan's in the approval yep. process. Yeah. So, so Japan is is actually in the process of opening their doors to U.S. ethanol. Um, Brazil has been. Uh, Canada is a big importer. We're looking to open the market into China. Um, <clears throat> you know, so there's a lot of ways. We know yeah. they could use better. So there's a lot quality. of ways too. So that's why where I. I struggle because a lot of people are, are complaining about the, the RIN cap. And and no, I don't think it's fair that we see a cap on RIN's price with nothing else. You know what I mean? That you can't you can't give without taking. You know what I mean? And you can't take without giving. There's gotta be a compromise, which I think is is the RVP way of, of doing things. But the talk is too, you know, and, and I'm not trying to go against I mean, there's a lot of much smarter people than me out there um, who have probably put a lot more work into um, you know, studying what the, the cost would be. But I also struggle with the idea that if we were to remove, put the rent cap in place, we would see corn prices drop 20 cents, 25 cents. That's the study that we've seen this week. I just, I struggle with that idea because basically we're saying on one hand, which has been a, a pretty constant um, argument that ethanol has built its own market structure. It has its own demand. We're seeing a continuation of growth via exports and domestic usage. Um, but then we're turning around and saying, but if you cap this secondary deal here, you know, we're not going to produce as much ethanol anymore because we, we just won't. So what we're, we're producing ethanol simply for RINs. I just, I don't buy it. I mean, like I said, I understand why we don't want to just give up, um, this thing that, that we've grown accustomed to and, and have been given, but I also don't want to see, I just have such a hard time buying you know, this hyperbole or this argument that, you know, corn prices are so closely tied to ethanol production that, you know, you're, you know, we're, we're going to hurt the American farmer. But because I feel that we've built demand for ethanol, we have to continue to build demand for ethanol. We have to continue to educate the public on ethanol. Um, 
but I also, you know, don't want the public to feel that they're being forced to use it. Does that make sense? Well, I think the big oil kind of makes us out to be the bad guy. Yeah. You know, this got really political because Ted Cruz was holding up Bill Northey's um, confirmation as an undersecretary at the USDA. He was holding his confirmation hostage to get Grassley to talk about ethanol and oil, trying to get a better advantage for his oil people in his state. And they wouldn't give in to him. And so, I mean, Northy was what? It was like several months that he was waiting. Oh, yeah. He, waiting. Just, uh, he was just confirmed. He just got confirmed this yeah. week. Yep. And so- but the thing I think that we need to look at is, you know, it's not fair. It's not a free market. You know, oil has a lot of advantages. Yes. And corn may have a few. But asking, you know, to put a cap on corn without taking away some oil advantages is where yeah. it's not fair. And that's how it's been for how long, though? You know what I mean? Like, big oil has has right. uh, pushed its way around. I mean, just look back. Let's think back to all of the stories that they told um, in 2012. You know, the Grocers Association. I refused to eat at Wendy's for about a month until I gave up because I like me some Wendy's. But, you know, they were part of the people coming out and saying that the ethanol, the RFS was the reason that food costs were so high and that we were starving people. You know, look at the price of corn where it's gone since 2012 versus where the price of your groceries have gone. They have not changed. Well, because oil, yeah, oil, when oil went up, food went up because all that food has to be trucked in a semi to wherever you buy it from. Packaging costs increase, your employee costs have increased. You know, there's a lot of factors included in the price of of food on the the shelf. And to point it and say that it was strictly ethanol's fault, you know, to me was was BS. But I think people people think they eat the corn that we see in the field as you drive by. You don't eat directly yellow number two corn. You know, you eat it after an animal has eaten it. You eat it. (laughs) Which the animal can eat it from the field or it can eat it after it goes through the ethanol plant. It doesn't care either way. It can eat both ways. But I think people think that they were taking sweet corn and making ethanol. And then, you know, that, of course, has to raise food production in their minds. Yeah, which is definitely not the case. Right. But I think there's a lot of misconception with that. Where did you, what were you saying, Jen? Um, there's, there's tons of corn out there. Yeah. People all the time say, well, what do you raise? I'm like, we raise corn, but... I don't raise food. I raise products that go to make food. Um, Ingredients. Thank you. I just am like, I, I don't raise food. I mean, what's growing in my fields are corn and soybeans that help our ingredients in food or go to help produce food. But I don't raise, you know, I can't tell you what I raise because I don't know what exactly my corn is going to. Yeah. Yeah, it could go to ethanol, it could go to feed hogs, it could go anywhere. Here's a couple of fun little facts. So on a net basis, the U.S. ethanol industry will use less than 3% of global grain supplies. And as far as raising the cost of food, corn is a minor ingredient in retail items. So when corn is $4 a bushel, there's about $0.05 worth of corn in a box of cornflakes. And this is information from the Renewable Fuels Association. And then the other thing I thought was interesting, when corn prices in 2014 and 15 are, were lower than they were, wait, corn prices in 2014, 2015 are lower than they were when the RFS2 was signed into law in 20, 2007. Yes. Well, I think the big, one of the big things with the ethanol was uh, 
for us here in the Midwest, it wasn't a big issue, but it really raised the price of uh, corn for feed for livestock producers more so out west. For direct feed. Yes, for direct feed. For direct feed. More so out west here is my understanding. Like I said, my, my scope of understanding is very small. It raised that price of feed for those guys out west who had to have it shipped out there who weren't growing it, you know, on their farm. Um, but God, there's so much corn out there. And one thing it did do that you never hear about um, is it encouraged growth in those areas. So you look at Kansas production last year versus where it was in 2006, 2007 or prior to that. You know, no one ever talks about that part. You know what I mean? Like no one talks about the fact that basis widened out considerably here recently. Now, yeah, you know, you look down into to uh, Hereford or whatever where some of those big feedlots are, and, and basis has stayed supported. But no one ever talks about the the increase in production and what it's done for feeders recently. You know what I mean? Like, look at what the feeder market's done over the last well, three years. You know, as a result of low corn prices. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We, we here at Campbell Grain and Livestock, I, I think have one of the very few views. We raise livestock and corn and we are definitely pro ethanol. Um, it does raise the, the price of what we are keeping and feeding, um, for our hogs and cattle. But, but it, but I think that, I think we got more going on in the livestock industry than using corn for ethanol. I don't think that is our problem with the livestock industry. I mean, the, the cost associated with livestock and everything like that. And, and so that's one of the parts that I was talking to someone today actually about Farm Bureau. And this isn't against Farm Bureau by any means, but they've still yet to come out and have have any sort of policy that I've seen. Now, someone did say that they'd come out and supported ethanol here quietly a couple of years ago, but I know uh, that, you know, five years ago when I was on the board, it was one of those things where I was like, why aren't we not, you know, publicly supporting ethanol? Well, we don't want to upset the livestock feeders. Well, what about the, the DD, DDGs? You know, now granted, a lot of those are exported. So that market's been run up. China was a huge buyer here. And had been a huge buyer for quite some time. Um, over the last five years or so, they've been using it as a feed product. And so, you know, I, I understand some of these portions. And it's not like I don't have feelings or concern for livestock producers. But I think we have enough arable land and production capacity to provide enough for feed, you know, enough for um, ethanol. And, you know, the what's left over can go to, to exports, which is basically how the corn demand matrix is set up. You've got ethanol at just over $5 billion. You've got feed at around $5 billion, And you have exports at just over $2 billion now, you know. So we use a substantial amount of corn every year. And, and we have the capacity, obviously, to produce enough, more than enough, uh, to meet our needs. Now, how much um, corn production is going for ethanol? Uh, five, as of today, they updated it. They increased the USDA Thursday, March 8th, um, increased ethanol corn. 2018. Use, 2018, um, increased corn used for ethanol, um, up to 5.575 billion. So, you know, 5.6 billion bushel. So we use food seed and industrial is just over 7 billion. So that includes your high fructose corn syrup production, 
and you know your seed production industrial production you know corn socks or whatever they are and uh, corn burners things like that um and so yeah feed usage is uh 5.55 billion ethanol is 5.575 okay so that's a a huge chunk of demand through ethanol and we've met the the requirements of that you know obviously so um so yeah i don't know it's it's definitely one of those things where um we need to defend it i think if you're an advocate or a supporter of ag in any way you should also be a supporter of ethanol in my opinion i always crack up when i have corn farmers that tell me that they don't use or they don't like ethanol um and i've said it you know several times um in meetings and things like that like you know, being a corn producer and not using ethanol is like being a, a vegan who raises beef. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you like your beef? Well, no, God, no, I'm a vegan. Okay. <laughs> you know, that makes no sense, but. It, um, is part of that just the misconception? I mean, you know, if they think it's going to hurt their engine where, you know, obviously it's not, it can't be doing too bad if all the major motorsports are using it nascar has it indy has it um they're all able to tune yeah. their engines to run off higher ethanol um blends. so yeah or one of them i think might even be straight ethanol i don't know yeah i think indy yeah. is um and that is uh you know and that's reality and that's what so in the setzer household we have you know basically this standing argument about it because my husband is not he doesn't like it and he's been told that it's bad for his engine and blah 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 but doesn't he sell corn to ethanol yes yes i just like i said i can't well you know you're wasting your breath because again he doesn't even know i have a podcast let alone listen to it but you know it's really one of those things where i'm like are you kidding me right now um you know i just I, I just don't know, you know, how you could be anti-ethanol and be, um, you know, in the industry like, like he is now granted, you know, he grew up as a feeder in the dairy industry and stuff like that. So maybe he's just a little bit bitter, but, um, (laughs) yeah, for me, like when I told him I used E30, he's like, you can't do that. I'm like, "Eh, it ran fine. I didn't notice any difference. You know, it's still under warranty. I won't tell the dealership that I guess if something happens, but you know, anyone that I've talked to. It said every car vehicle is warrantied if it was made after 2000. Let's see. I know 2001 is for 15. I didn't know how for uh, E30 works. Oh, you put E30 in. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. We don't know Angie yeah. and she doesn't do that in her own vehicle. So. No, it wasn't my vehicle. It was a rental a car. Rental. But <laughs> I did not. If Hertz is listening, it wasn't me. That was someone else. <laughs> But, you know, so that's the thing. Like, I use it. Um, I try to make sure that, that there is sound information being put out about it. Um, I think that's what we can do in the industry. I try to, to fight the misconceptions that are out there um, if I can, you know, and, and all of these things. And I think that's really what we all have to do, um, you know. And, and I don't want any sort of unfair um, policies put in place. But, you know, like we said before. The oil side's not fair right now either. Yeah. So. Yeah. The oil side is not fair and we want to make sure that it's an even playing field for everyone. 
Right. And as far as as um, E85, you need to look at the cost per mile instead of miles per gallon. The higher ethanol can content provides more horsepower and lower temps so it's engine and performance friendly so as long as e85 is roughly 20 percent cheaper than e10 there's a price-based advantage the performance advantage and environmental benefits are always in place and that was another thing trisha had sent me so environmentally friendly where are our environmentalists i need to ask my brother jeff he's a little tree hugging bunny granola type guy. I need to see if he's actually putting ethanol in his plant. I know one thing she had said is, you know, instead of in his plant, in his car, one thing that she had said was, you know, the um, administrations jumped on electric and left kind of left ethanol in the dust as far as renewable fuel. So um, I wondered that. I wonder if, yeah. That's the idea, you know, is that, oh, we're going to go on this technology as though electricity is like, it comes from the air. Where does electricity come from? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, like it grows on trees. Yeah. The coal powered plant that I went to when I was a kid. I mean, like I could see hydroelectricity. I could see wind energy, which, oh my God, don't bring that up on Twitter. You know, things like that. Okay, that's cool. But if we're generating electricity via coal and, and other forms, which I'm not again, I'm not anti-coal. It's like, a, you know, like food choice. Like we're like pro food choice. I'm pro, you know, right. fuel choice, but- but you can't say one is better than the other if you don't know where the one came exactly. from. Exactly. So, yeah. but from an overall standpoint, you know, here we are fighting for, I'm going to go murder those dogs. Like next week, you're going to hear no dogs barking in the background because they're all going to be gone. Um, yeah. And PETA is not listening. No, we'll see if they are. But, you know, we're pro, we're pro fuel choice, but we definitely want to make sure that it's an even playing field um, overall, you know, and, and we're not going to sit here and pretend that we're experts on anything because we're definitely not, but we do know. So tell me why this is, I mean, it's always been here. Don't get me wrong. Renewable fuel. Why is this suddenly what's, what's going on right now? Senator Cruz was trying to hold Bill Northey hostage and not allow him to be confirmed if Grassley didn't talk to him and compromise. It goes back to that big oil conversation. Senator Cruz was very clear when he was running for president. He wasn't a fan of the RFS anyway. He did still won Iowa being that way, but he made it very clear that he wasn't a fan. Um, he's a big oil guy. And then so he was Senator trying to Cruz, get something for his constituents. Yes. And so mm -hmm. they were doing that initially. And then you had this refinery go under in Pennsylvania and it became the, the perfect storm of an opportunity. Which was more fodder for him. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, eat beef, drink milk. But I think the important thing is that you don't think that it's going to for sure make a 25 cent drop in the price. Again. To me, I don't. It, there may be a, a knee jerk reaction if something like that were to come about. But I think from an overall standpoint, as long as uh, secondary, though, I got to say this, these steel tariffs and things like that, <laughs> you know, Brazil and Canada. Yeah, but they have an impact. It's a butterfly effect. Yeah. Brazil and Canada are their lar our largest ethanol importers. 
Canada was exempt from this tariff. Brazil was not, but I guess they can ask for an exemption. Will that impact things going forward? You know, will will because we're really reliant upon ethanol exports to increase the the demand for ethanol. Not only you know from a domestic standpoint, exports are great, but overall, and so we need to make sure that we don't have this whole butterfly effect impact everything. And but no, I we may see a knee jerk reaction, but long term, I think the the demand is solid. Especially if we get the RVP waiver. And that's where you get the money from our podcast. You just earned it right there. (laughs) That's what I try. So, but yeah, if you guys, Jen, do you have any more questions or are you? No, I'm thoroughly confused, but that's That's what we try to do. I mean, that's our real goal. The more I researched about it, the more confused I got. So that's why I asked for help. Right. So thank you to Trisha Braid at Illinois Corn for all of the excellent information. And I hope I didn't screw any of it up. So, yes. And a lot of that is on on not only national corn growers, but Illinois corn growers site, like the, some of the mm-hmm. charts we were looking at. I mean, if you if this is something that has not thoroughly confused you and gave you a migraine, check out those sites for sure. Yeah. The other one was the Renewable Fuels Association at www.ethanolrfa.org. Basically, what I'm down to now is if Chris listens to this, how I um, get past the fart conversation with him. I uh, think that's the so, best. Uh, you know, Angie's not going yeah, to No, I think that was the best explanation of carbon credits I've heard. So, I mean, that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, well, you know, I like to eat gaseous foods and I'm not willing to give that up. So I am going to fart more. He doesn't fart. So I'll steal some of his fart credits. It's exactly what it is. That would explain why he's so I angry think it sometimes. does too. <laughs> he's got a gas bubble. So poor Chris. Sorry, Chris. We love you, Chris. Uh, Thank you for listening, Chris. (laughs) And if I'm dead, blame Chris. Right. (laughs) But I mean, Chris, give us a a signal so we can get some life insurance on Jen for ourselves. It's like Monopoly money. It's it's just, they're just like grabbing out of the air and saying, you know, Bitcoin, let's sell this. Let's make, you know... I don't know. I don't understand the Bitcoin. I'm going to leave that one up to Oh, that's another one. Yeah. So fun times. Uh, but, but yeah, on that note, then, you know, we not only thank Chris for listening, we thank our other five listeners. And uh, if you have any feedback, I know we have a lot of very smart people that listen who have a lot of insight into this very topic. Um, so we definitely love to hear from you. If you have any other questions, we'd love to hear from you too on that. And I, I'd, I'd still love to hear more from livestock farmers on where they stand now on the ethanol use. Seriously. All right. So yeah. there's your homework, livestock farming listeners. Tell us what you think on ethanol and, and uh, you know, how that's impacted your farm here recently. So on that note, we appreciate, uh, appreciate you listening and we'll be back next week. Uh, same time, same place. <laughs>